0: Good afternoon, DPC. Uh, Happy Easter. As we come to think about Luke chapter 24 today, let's pray and ask God to be with us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, this Easter story, this true story that we can reflect on today. And be with us as we think about uh, Jesus's revolutionary life, why his resurrection uh, launched a revolution. Amen. What do you think of when you hear the word revolution? Perhaps it's the overturning of governments and the establishment of a new political order. There's been plenty of that over the last 100 years. Some of them peaceful and some of them violent. In fact, Aaron shared about some of those in his Good Friday sermon. Like the one headed up by Gandhi, which led to India's independence from Britain. Perhaps when you hear the word revolution, you think of the cultural revolution in China. In the 1960s, Chairman Mao devised a plan to strengthen communism by reinforcing his ideology in the minds of people and causing them to rise up against his opponents. In August 1966, people were urged to destroy the four olds, old ideas, old customs, old habits and old culture. In 2017, my family visited China, and we got to tour some old houses and gardens, and it was actually quite sad because much of the furniture and paintings that were there were reconstructions because the originals had been destroyed during the Cultural Revolution. Perhaps when you hear the word revolution, you don't think about politics or culture. Perhaps like me, you think about the scientific revolution. That unique time in the 16th and 17th centuries, which led to a radical change in how people viewed the world. The scientific method was developed, and the eventual result was all the wonderful technologies that we have today in the modern world. Technologies like those which enable us to actually have our church services online during the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm guessing, though, that not many of you hear the word revolution and think about Jesus. Well, maybe you do today because our Easter series is actually called Jesus Revolution. But often we don't really see Jesus as a revolutionary figure. However, he began the most important revolution in all of history, one that is still impacting on people today and will continue to do so into the future. The Jesus Revolution is unexpected and surprising. You see, it brought about great change, but not at the expense of one people group over another. It brought about a new era, but not by erasing the past. It brought about something lasting that will not be overturned by any future revolutions. And it was launched at his resurrection. On Friday, Aaron spoke about Jesus's revolutionary death. And today we're going to look at Luke chapter 24 and learn about what happened on the day Jesus rose from the dead. We're going to learn four revolutionary truths about the Jesus revolution. And the first truth is that the Jesus revolution begins with ordinary people. If you have a look at verse 1, you'll see this. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they'd prepared and went to the tomb. These are ordinary women going to an ordinary tomb to do something very ordinary. Jesus had died on the cross just before sunset and so his body had been hurriedly prepared and put into a tomb. And now they've come to finish preparing his body by anointing it with perfume and applying spices. This is a way of showing respect to the dead but also masking some of the smell of decomposition. But when they get to the tomb, the body's not there. Verse four says that they were wondering about this when suddenly two men appeared in gleaming clothes. So two angels show up. And okay, I admit that's not particularly ordinary. But the way the women respond is pretty normal. In verse five, they bow down on the ground in fear. They weren't expecting this. I mean, no one expects to meet angels and no one expects bodies to just disappear. But the men point out that perhaps the women should have been expecting this. Have a look at what they say in verses 5 to 7. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Several times in the book of Luke, Jesus predicted, he said that he would actually do these things, that he would die and rise again. But these women forgot that. In fact, all of his disciples forgot that. Now, perhaps you think that you would actually have remembered, but ordinarily people can be pretty forgetful. After all, the shock and horror of Jesus' capture and crucifixion probably put them all into panic mode, and they weren't really thinking straight. But the words of the angels helped the women. Look at verse 8. Then they remembered his words. And they head back into town to find the remaining apostles. And they tell them about this revolutionary event. Jesus is alive. He's not among the dead and he cannot be found in a tomb any longer. Now, there are two interesting details that we read. Have a look at verse 10. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. You know, these are real people from real places with real families. And I love the fact that two of them are called Mary. Let's not forget that Jesus' mum was also called Mary. My daughter Charlotte is a budding author, and when she plans out her stories, she spends lots of time coming up with names for her characters. Because one of the important rules of good storytelling is to not give your characters the same names or confusing names. And so this small detail that there are so many women called Mary in the Gospel accounts actually lends credibility to them being historical rather than fictional. So too does the next detail found in verse 11. You see, the women were the first to testify about the resurrection. In those days, women weren't allowed to serve as legal witnesses. We see some of this attitude reflected in how the apostles don't actually believe them. They think they're speaking nonsense. But Peter senses something in what they say. And so he runs to the tomb. He looks in and he sees Jesus' burial linen, but no body. And so he's left stunned and amazed. You know, these are ordinary people dealing with an extraordinary situation. None of them expected Jesus to physically rise from the dead three days after his death. And so when they're confronted by the evidence, they feel confused. There's lots of talking and discussing and reporting of news as they try to process what's happened. They also express real human emotions throughout the situation. As you read through Luke chapter 24, you'll see how the disciples started sad and frightened and puzzled. Yet as the truth dawns upon them, they come to be filled with joy. This is actually similar to how many of us engage with the Easter story when we read through it for the first time. The Jesus revolution begins with ordinary people. And this in itself is extraordinary. It's quite revolutionary. It points to the truthfulness of Jesus' extraordinary resurrection. Because if this was just propaganda, or perhaps a myth with a moral it would be presented very differently. You would change the details. It also points to the scope of the revolution because they're not radical people. They're not powerful people. They're not influential people. They're just people. Revolutions typically have an inner circle of exceptional people who get them started and you know, often certain people groups are excluded. But not the Jesus revolution. The Jesus revolution continues the way it began. It embraces ordinary people because God loves all people. Not just the elite, not just the oppressed, not just the talented, but everyone, and so anyone can be part of his revolution. This is the first revolutionary truth about the Jesus revolution. The second is that it bridges the past in the future, the next scene in this chapter takes place on the road to Emmaus. You can see in verse thirteen that two disciples are walking to this village, which was, uh, it is about seven miles or eleven kilometres west of Jerusalem. We're only told the name of one of them, Cleopas, and they're talking about the recent events, including what the women have reported. Have a look at verses fifteen and sixteen. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognising him. So Jesus, they don't know it's Jesus, but Jesus asks them what they're discussing, and they're amazed that this stranger doesn't know what happened in Jerusalem, and so they tell him. They recount how Jesus of Nazareth was crucified a few days ago and today his tomb was found to be empty. Angels told the women that Jesus was alive, but you know, by the way he retells it, Cleopas is clearly not convinced that this actually happened. The part I want us to think about is in verse 21. Check it out. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Now, we should not underestimate the centrality of this statement. Redemption was key to Jewish identity. It was at the very heart of who they were, since they were the people that God redeemed from slavery in Egypt. He brought them through the Red Sea, through the desert, and into the Promised Land. He made them into a nation, and he promised to bless them. Redemption was also at the heart of their hopes for the future since the exodus out of Egypt was just a foretaste of the greater and fuller redemption yet to come. The prophets in the previous centuries had spoken of how God would act again to bring life and blessing to his people and to usher in a new age where the king of Israel ruled over a peaceful kingdom of righteousness. And all of this would be accomplished through the Messiah. God's special anointed one. And no doubt, Cleopas longed for this redemption, because not only was Israel in a state of spiritual decay and bondage, they were also under the oppressive rule of the Roman Empire. He and his fellow Jews longed for redemption, and many had come to believe that Jesus was the Messiah who would accomplish this. But Jesus was now dead. And so Cleopas believed that the revolution had already ended before it had really started. This is where Jesus now speaks a word of challenge and a word of hope. Look at verses 25, 26, and 27. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. What I wouldn't give to have been present at that Bible lecture. How wonderful it would be to have Jesus unpack the many ways in which the scripture pointed to his life, his death and his resurrection. You know, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God if he can show me a, a rerun of that lecture or maybe even give me a manuscript to read. Now, we don't have time this morning to look at the possible places that Jesus went to in the Old Testament. What I want us to see is that the revolution launched by Jesus's resurrection actually bridges the past and the future. You know, most revolutions are about moving forward and leaving the old behind. You know, the Cultural Revolution in China is an extreme example of that, and it arguably backfired. The Scientific Revolution was much more successful as people abandoned old ways of viewing the world. But it's not always that easy to leave the past behind. You know, many revolutions promise a fresh start, but the same old problems return, chiefly because... They're just kind of covered over, like painting over a mouldy, peeling wall with a fresh coat of paint. You can change the political system, but people are still people. The revolutionary truth about the Jesus Revolution is that it doesn't try to cover up the past or just have a fresh start. Rather, it's deeply anchored in the past. And it's a fulfilment of God's promises made throughout all of history. And this is so significant because it means that it's grounded in reality. The resurrection of Jesus is something new and wonderful and incredible, but it's also part of the true story of humanity. And it helps us to make sense of our existence and all of human history. It gives meaning to the struggle of our ancestors. It explains why it is that we search for meaning. It validates our sense that suffering is bad and justice is good. It stretches right back to the beginning and touches on truths that are so old that in fact they seem new to us. You know, we're seeing more and more in our society that there's a battle between conservatives and progressives. And the conservatives want to slow down the change and stay rooted in the past because they believe that the answers are there. The answers to our problems lie in the past. And the progressives, well, they want to sever the past and start something new because they believe that the answers to our problems lie in the future. Well, the resurrection of Jesus gives us the best of both. You see, it draws us into an ancient story, back to the very foundation of the world and shows us that truth can be found in the past but it also points to an amazing future where things will be better where things will be perfected and it does this by recognizing the truth about people that we are flawed and finite but also does this through dealing with these problems you see, God powerfully intervened in human history to raise Jesus from the dead and to begin a new era that bridges the past and the future. It's an, it is an event grounded in reality, which means it can transform reality. See, so the redemption of Israel uh, overturned the old way of living as slaves in Egypt but the redemption that Jesus won turns away the old ways of living as slaves to sin and death and the devil. You know, God's original design for humanity and the world has now been unlocked. The revolution is bringing about the consummation of God's plan and all of the promises are coming true. And so this leads to the third revolutionary truth about the Jesus revolution. It benefits the whole world. You know, Cleopas speaks of the redemption of Israel and Jesus argues that his death and resurrection has actually achieved this. Yet it wasn't just for the benefit of a small nation in the Middle East. Rather, the world's fate has always been tied to the fate of Israel since God promised to bless all nations through his one chosen nation. And we learn this as we move into the next scene of Luke chapter 24. We see in verses 28 to 32 that Jesus has a meal with these two men in Emmaus and then his identity is revealed to them and it clicks for them. And so in verse 33, they get up and they return back to Jerusalem. Now, you can tell that they must have been very excited about what Jesus had taught them and then realizing that Jesus truly was alive because Don't forget, it was nearly evening when they arrived in the maze. They're about to have dinner. Yet they now take the 11-kilometer journey back to Jerusalem in the dark. They find the apostles and tell them that they have seen Jesus. And then Jesus appears to the apostles. He proves that he is physically alive again. We're going to come back to that soon. You can see in verse 44 that he reminds them what he's taught the two men on their walk the scriptures pointed to his revolutionary resurrection and then we get to verses 46 to 48 which i want us to focus on now have a look at them in your bibles he told them this is what is written the messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at jerusalem you are witnesses of these things. Do you see that Jesus' death and resurrection has implications for all nations? Now that he has risen, now that the revolution has been launched, it's time to get the message out there. The apostles are to be witnesses and starting in Jerusalem, they are going to take the good news about Jesus to all the nations. They are to preach repentance for the forgiveness of sins in the name of jesus as aaron pointed out to us on friday jesus death is linked to the passover since he's the ultimate passover lamb who secured redemption not just for israel but for the whole world as jesus died on the cross he was paying for the sins of humanity taking the punishment that we deserve and so his resurrection is the stamp of approval from god that his sacrificial death was accepted And so anyone can be forgiven now. This requires two things, repentance and faith. For us to repent, we must turn away from our wrong ways of living and turn back to God. The truth is, Jesus had to start a revolution because we are the ones who keep mucking things up. Since the beginning of the human race, people have rejected the good and loving rule of God choosing to rule themselves instead and to live for their own pleasure. You know, we each embrace the old bad ways of our ancestors. And sure, it may look different for different people, but we all ultimately put ourselves at the center of our universe and then fight against everyone else who refuses to play the game according to our rules. This is true of the narcissist who walks all over people, but it's also true of the self-effacing person who in reality just wants everyone to build them up. We're all self-absorbed. And throughout our lives, we sin against others and we sin against God. This is why all human revolutions ultimately fail to deliver. We need to turn away from this by repenting and putting God back at the centre of our lives. And each person has to do this individually The second act we need is faith. We'll unpack this more in a minute, but do you notice how in verse 47 it says that forgiveness is tied to the name of the Messiah? Jesus is the one who secures forgiveness by his death, and we can only receive that forgiveness if we have faith in him. We must believe that he truly died, that his death truly was effective, and that we truly need his death to pay for our wrongdoings. This is the good news or the gospel that Christians proclaim. It's the news that spread throughout the ancient world at the launch of the Jesus Revolution and which brought revolution to individuals, communities, and entire nations. You know, even today, it doesn't matter what your cultural or family heritage is because the Jesus Revolution tears down the walls between people and promises a true utopia for all people with true equality for all. You know, most revolutions benefit one group of people over another, but the Jesus Revolution benefits the whole world. And it deals with the real root of the problem in this world, the human heart. Jesus has redeemed us from the old corrupt ways of selfish thinking and he's redeemed us from our just judgment that was coming to us. Through repentance and faith, we receive forgiveness and also the transformation of our hearts and minds. The resurrection launched a new way of thinking and living and relating to God. Well, the final revolutionary truth about the Jesus revolution is that it brings believers into the revolutionary life of Jesus. We've touched on some amazing ideas here in Luke chapter 24, and there's one more that is anchored here, but not really explained. It's about the nature of Jesus' resurrection and its implication for believers. We can often focus on the death of Jesus and not appreciate the relevance of his new life. As I said earlier, the resurrection is the stamp of approval from God that his sacrificial death was received in payment for our lives. But There's more to it than that. Jesus' resurrection points to a new type of life and one that we can share if we trust in him. Let's turn back to the episode in Jerusalem. In verse 37 of Luke 24, we see that after Jesus appeared to his disciples... They were startled and frightened, thinking that he was a ghost. And this surely does show how slow they are to believe, since the women and two men had already said that Jesus was alive. But Jesus is as patient as ever. Look at verses 38 and 39. He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. So he shows them his hands and his feet. That seems like a pretty odd thing to do to prove that he's not a ghost. Until we remember that when he was crucified, nails went through his hands and his feet. And so he's showing them the holes that are still there in his body. He's showing them that the same body that he died in is now alive in front of them. And so to further prove this, he eats some broiled fish. Now, this is truly revolutionary. A man has come back to life days after he died. But also, he has risen physically, rather than just shedding his body and becoming pure spirit. And unlike the other resurrections in the Bible, Jesus is still alive today. In verse 51, he's taken up into heaven. But Lazarus and Jairus' daughter and all the other people raised from the dead during Jesus' earthly ministry would have gone on to die again. Jesus' resurrection is different. It's something new. The first fruits of the resurrections to come. And so this gives us a glimpse into our own futures. We'll be raised with real bodies also. We'll be able to touch and eat and walk around and we'll live forever in our renewed bodies. This is revolutionary for two reasons. First, it challenges the ancient Greek view that most people today probably still believe, which states that the body is bad and one day we'll escape our bodies and we'll just become spirits or ghosts. Second, it challenges the ancient Jewish view that the resurrection would only occur at the end of human history. Here we see Jesus has launched the new era already, while the old era continues alongside it. Jesus' resurrection is revolutionary, and we can share in this life right now by believing in him. By faith, we can commence everlasting life today and be sure that we will receive new bodies in the future. In fact, John speaks about eternal life frequently in his account of Jesus' life. He was one of the apostles that was present there in Jerusalem on that first Easter Sunday. And he wrote what is perhaps one of the most famous sentences in the whole Bible. You probably know it. It's from John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Now, this reinforces that we join the revolution by faith but also through that same faith we participate in the revolutionary life of jesus you see we can have eternal life even now by sharing in jesus's eternal life this is such a a radical concept and i think it actually reveals the uniqueness of christianity jesus new life isn't just the proof or foretaste of our own eternal life. It is the source of our eternal life. We don't earn it through good deeds or revolutionary acts. We simply believe it when we join, or we simply receive it when we join the revolution. We join the Jesus revolution by faith and receive all the benefits of Jesus' revolutionary death and his revolutionary life by that same faith. Surely this shows just how much God loves us. He does all of the hard work and he offers us redemption. He offers us forgiveness. He offers us eternal life as a free gift. He transforms us. As I said at the start, Jesus began the most important revolution in history and it was launched by his resurrection. It impacted on the ancient world and it's still impacting on people today. And our world has benefited from this revolution as Christian values have spread throughout the earth, as Christians have set up charities and served their communities, and as the Christian worldview has provided the foundation for the modern world. But those are just the minor benefits. If you want to get the real benefits, if you want to get the internal benefits that change you, if you want to get the eternal benefits that will forever change you, then you need to join the revolution not just be a spectator. And so my encouragement to you all today is to put your faith in Jesus, the greatest revolutionary. If you haven't done that yet, then don't put it off because life is short and uncertain. You know, don't look for other people who might promise a better way to live or you know, hang out for a better hope in the future. Only Jesus has returned from the dead Only he can deliver. There's no one better who's going to come along. If you have already put your faith in Jesus, then be encouraged by the reality that you have eternal life and a sure hope for the future. No matter how uncertain life might be, no matter how much you might struggle, know that Jesus has already won and that the revolutionary age is here to stay. The Jesus revolution is for all people because it begins with ordinary people it balances history because it bridges the past and the future it benefits the whole world because it brings real and lasting change and it brings people into the revolutionary life of jesus so that his resurrection life becomes ours too and we receive all the benefits that go along with that we receive them as a free gift to all who believe let's pray Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful truth. In fact, these four wonderful truths about the Jesus revolution that was launched at his resurrection. Uh, Please help us all to put our trust in Jesus and know that we will receive redemption and forgiveness and eternal life. And so may this Easter Sunday be one that is truly filled with joy as we realise that the Jesus revolution is here to stay. Amen.